now it's time for ketchup kitchen catch-ups. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ketchup Kitchen Catch-Ups. I'm your host, Michael Hayes, and this is the one-year anniversary episode of Ketchup Kitchen Catch-Ups. Thank you for listening. If you've been here the whole way, I I don't know why you continued, because to be honest, those first handful were utter shit, but you're here right now. Thank you. So I'm on vacation this week, so I, I, I don't have a guest, you know, I'm not able to record an episode for a guest, so I'm doing this a little early and, you know, doing another Catchtown episode. And when I was preparing for this episode, I was flipping through the the book by Andrew F. Smith called Pure Ketchup, which the previous Catchtown episodes have, have been, you know, had excerpts from that, when I stumbled across the fact that Jeffrey Steingarter, let me take sure I'm saying his name right now. Um, where is his name? Yeah, Jeffrey Steingarten, uh, who who is has been the a food critic for Vogue magazine for, I mean, I saw he's still doing stuff. So it's he's been doing it for thirty years or something like that now. Um, and apparently, back in 1992, he did a thing where he taste tested 33 different ketchups for an article, and uh, it's 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 a really it's a great article, and I thought that today um, I would maybe read some excerpts of that. Um, I actually bought his book. He has a book called "The Man Who Hate Who Hate The Man Who Ate Everything." Um, and it, it's a collection of his, his the stuff he's written. Um, so if you want some food stuff or you like what you hear, check, you know, check it out. Uh, it sounds like, you know, from what I've read and what you'll see there, it's, um, it's the, the articles, this one at least seems very well informed and it's got a bit of sense of humor in there. And so, you know, it's a nice little, it's a nice read. So I would say, check it out. I got, I got a ebook copy of it on on uh, Google Books. So um, let's stop wasting time here and let's get into Ketchtown Part 3, Playing Ketchup. To my mind, Ketchup stands in the top tier of the world's cold or tepid non-dessert sauces. It is surely our proudest, perhaps our only, homegrown sauce achievement. 97% of American homes keep ketchup in the kitchen. Each of us blissfully eats three bottles in a year. A tablespoon of ketchup is packed with flavor but carries only 16 calories and no fat. It is recommended for dieters and skinny people alike. Four tablespoons of ketchup, the amount you might consume on a hamburger and a large order of fries, is the nutritional equivalent of an entire ripe medium tomato with none of the fuss and bother. Ketchup is one of the great successes the sauce world has ever known. 
wrote Elizabeth Rosen in the Journal of Gastronomy in the summer of 1988. In its brilliant red color, its rich flavor, and its marked salinity, Rosen theorizes ketchup represents the fulfillment, both real and symbolic, of the ancient and atavistic lust for blood, magically achieved with the use of plant products alone. Rosen also draws an analogy to the Christian Mass and its fruity surrogate for the blood of Christ, but I forget how it goes. All I know is that I discovered a case of Del Monte in one of the celebrated kitchens of Hamonte in northern Italy, vying with Tartafui and Porcini for the chef's affection. And last year in Paris, in a kitchen soon to receive its second Michelin star, I watched the chef add a dollop of Heinz to his sauce of salmon's blood, red wine, and verjus, a post-modernization of Escarrer's sauce Genevois. Buying a bottle of ketchup is not a mindless matter of pulling it off the shelf and paying some money. As with wines, there are good years and bad, depending on how sweet and flavorful the tomatoes were. Most brands are made from tomato paste or tomato concentrate boiled down in late summer when the tomatoes are harvested and used throughout the year to cook the final product. But ketchup bottled in the summer is often more directly from ripe tomatoes. The ketchup connoisseur will want to know the year and the day the sauce was bottled. If Heinz is your favorite, look at the four-digit number on the bottle cap, ignoring the initial two letters. The last digit indicates the year, and the first three digits tell you the day when the ketchup was bottled. For example, 0752 means the 75th day of 1992. Or 2530, a vintage still on the shelves in 1992, means the 253rd day of 1990. If you prefer another brand, telephone the manufacturer for details. At last, when 33 ketchups stood on my kitchen table, I was ready to begin planning a festival of ketchups, a grand competitive tasting. Does Heinz truly deserve 55% of the U.S. ketchup market, with Hunt's a laggard at 19% and Del Monte a wimpy 9%, while all generic and private brands add up to 17% and the sum total of gourmet and regional ketchups reaches only 2%? I began with the assumption that the answer was yes because Heinz is the only brand of ketchup I ever buy. Or should I say, it was the only brand of ketchup I ever bought, but that would give away the results of the competition. The scientific ketchup contests I've read about either used plastic spoons or little dry crackers as a tasting medium with water or club soda between bites. This seems logical, but so does a hamburger and french fries with a bubbly gulp of Diet Coke in between, which is certainly how ketchup is deployed in the real world. In a preparatory experiment with several of the ketchups in my collection, I discovered that their flavor is transformed by the way you taste them. Once the mouth becomes acclimated to the sweetness of Coke, for example, the cloying sugariness of some ketchups disappears, but the decor decorous sweet-sour balance of others tips towards the acidic. The spicier varieties, usually designer ketchups, are zesty on a plastic spoon, but obscure the loveliness of a crisp French fry, which the blander mainstream brands perfectly complement. 
the choice of a tasting medium would be absolutely critical. I worried that eating 33 hamburgers in a row would be impractical, as was, I would soon discover, cutting a single hamburger into 33 equal wedges. I set out to design a miniature hamburger the diameter of a quarter, four millimeters thick, with a tiny little hamburger bun on top and bottom. Getting the outside of the meat nice and crispy while keeping the inside red and juicy proved impossible on a small scale, and I forsook this plan even before I had gotten down to miniaturizing the bun. A decision was taken. My wife and I would rate our ketchups both on and off french fries from the McDonald's three blocks away. McDonald's once fried the most perfect and certainly the most reliable potatoes in the nation. Then some genius got the idea that deep frying in pure golden beef fat is not politically correct. He or she was undoubtedly correct, but now its fries merit a rating no higher than acceptable plus. My third task was to solve, once and for all, the ketchup pourability problem. During the pre-competition exper experiment, I was largely ignorant of the contribution that the science of rheology could make to our everyday lives. It was only after I sent a stream of ketchup across my wife's favorite tablecloth, a lovely hand-printed Indian cotton from a shop in the Rue Jacob, <laughs> pronounce that one weird, that I telephoned Professor Malcolm Bourne at Cornell for a lesson on non-Newtonian fluids. Sir Isaac Newton wrote that the laws governing liquids that flow like water, the more force you exert on them, the faster they flow. But ketchup is different. Composed of tangled red tomato fibers suspended in a sweet and acidic colorless serum, ketchup behaves like a solid both at rest and under low levels of pressure. But then, at some higher threshold, it suddenly begins to flow like an ordinary fluid. That's why the frustrated ketchup lover, who loses patience with gentle taps on the bottom's, bottle's bottom and prematurely shifts to a powerful wallop, ends up with a gush of ketchup over everything. Ketchup and mayonnaise are known as Bingham fluids, named after the scientists who characterized them early in this century. Professor Bourne had these suggestions for me. Any ketchup in the neck of the bottle was probably dried out and partially solidified. So remove the cap and stir the top half inch of the ketchup into the rest of the point, oh, into the rest of it with the point of a knife. Then, after replacing the cap, violently agitate the whole bottle vertically like a cocktail shaker. This would decrease the degree of entanglement among the tomato fibers and line them up in a hoped-for direction of flow. Finally, remove the, again the cap and invert the bottle over your fries or hamburger. Begin tapping the bottom gently, gradually increasing the force of each tap until the ketchup begins to flow at just the right rate. If this doesn't work, go out and buy a plastic squeeze bottle, introduced by Heinz in 1983 and made recyclable in 1991. Ten large orders of french fries may be the precise number you need to sample and evaluate 35 ketchups. But what we had failed to anticipate is that eating anywhere near this number of french fries slathered with ketchup is nearly impossible. And as the minutes drew into hours, we became increasingly confused about which ketchups we had preferred and why. I remember reading somewhere that a human being is incapable of comparing more than seven things at one time. Two human beings working as a team are no more capable. Our solution was to assign each ketchup to one of four general categories. Worse than Heinz? Heinz better than Heinz, and not really ketchup. 
And from here, Jeffrey goes on to actually give his ratings for these various ketchups. And I think we're going to wait, because I want to see, you know, how I feel about these. But it makes sense. The You've got to have that baseline. That's what we do here. It's basically, is it like Heinz or Hunts or, you know, Del Monte's? And see how, you know, it goes. Interestingly, in this article, I realized that French's isn't mentioned. It's Hunts and Del Monte's. And I wonder if there's been a market shift in ketchup, if, if French's has become more common, because you certainly see French's more often these days than Del Monte. Del Monte I don't see very often at all. I do have a bottle for testing someday, but it's French's all over the place, Hunts and Heinz, you know? Oh, well. Well, people, uh, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, it's, a, it's a fun read. Yeah, definitely check out this book if you, just, if you like stuff. Like, there's more. I'm going to read more from this article, um, too, there's some other interesting points he has about other things. Uh, so we'll get more from, from Jeffrey Steingarten in the future. But uh, yeah, check out his book, The Man Who Ate Everything. Um, it's it, yeah, it's fun. Um, well, thank you again, everyone, for, for hanging around, if you've been around for the year. And if you're new to the podcast, still thank you. I hope hope to, you know, hope, you're st- hope we're still hanging out and catching up together uh, years from now with this weird podcast about ketchup that comes out weekly for God knows what reason, but it does. And that's all, it's all there is to it. It happens. And I'm not sorry. Okay, everyone have a great week. And, uh, yeah. Bye-bye.